Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for a Monday edition of Fighting for the Faith. That's right, it's Monday, March 8th, 2010. A little more than a month away to tax day. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> oh, we got a barn burner today. And I know I have more than enough for today's program, so I already know some of the stuff I'm going to talk about on tomorrow's edition. I sound organized. This is not right. Must be experiencing spring cleaning. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Plain and simple, there's a lot of people out there that are trying to sell you something. Or they have their own ideas about God that they're trying to pawn off on you as if they're actual biblical truth. And the real simple way to find out as to whether or not what somebody's telling you, selling you, or trying to pawn off on you is to just take their claims, <clears throat> open up the Bible, and compare Plain and simple. We work from the premise here that the Bible is the inerrant inspired word of God and is the only inerrant authority that we have regarding who God is, what he's done for us, what he expects for us, and what is truth in regards to him. If you say something that contradicts what God has revealed about himself, you're the one with the problem, not God. What I've noticed about uh, heretics, though, <laughs> kind of a <clears throat> little side note right off the bat here, is that... Uh, when you point out from the scriptures that uh, that their ideas about God just don't hold the mustard, um, is that even a legitimate phrase? Anyway, um, they, they, it just doesn't cut the mustard. There it is. It's cut the mustard. When, they're, when their ideas just don't cut the biblical mustard, they get mad at you, <laughs> and uh, they malign the biblical God. Yeah, you know what your problem is? Is that you're so narrow-minded and you're just a fundamentalist, and and your your God is powerless to save people you don't like. Oh, give me a break! <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Let's go back. God has revealed stuff about Himself, and it's true. And if you say something that contradicts what He's revealed about Himself or ain't in the biblical text itself, you just be making stuff up, and you well, you're all. <clears throat> You're lying, if you would, or the biblical way of saying it, taking the Lord's name in vain. Okay, today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Okay, got some email I want to go through here, um, and then I've got a great uh, blog post from Mark Lemprecht uh, from uh, the Here I Blog web, uh, website called Dynamite Sermon Illustrations. We're going to get to that. 
And then I got a, a news story coming out of Southern California, my, my former uh, stomping grounds. Uh, Saddleback Church is going to have the Jonas Brothers performing at their Easter service. <laughs> The Jonas Brothers. Good night. Is that any? Is, what was that stupid kid band that I went? You know, ten years of do wop. Yeah. Anyway, and then I've got some Patricia King stuff for you. We're Patricia King again. The gift that just keeps on giving, and uh, we're going to be listening to Patricia King, and I, she's going to be demonstrating for us what uh, Pastor Wolf Mueller a few weeks ago describes as the heresy two step. And boy, does she do a doozer on this one. I, did you know that there were angels that were mint green? I didn't know if you know this or knew this or not, but apparently Patricia King has actually met with an angel that happened to be mint green. Just wanted to let you know. And then we're going to do a little segment called When Dreams for Your Church Become a Nightmare. And then our sermon review today is just a little bit different. I'll give you some details as we get into our email segment here. But we're going to be doing our first, it's not a sermon cage fight, we're going to be doing a sermon game show, if you would. And But again, I don't want to let that cat out of the bag until we get to the email that inspired me to uh, come up with the sermon game show. So uh, with that, we're going to uh, dive into the program proper, and I've got some email that I'd like to share with you. Okay, we've got several email I want to go through here. First one is from Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. The pastor that is so gospel-centered, he gets four names here at Fighting for the Faith. Actually, he had four names before he ever emailed me here. He's uh, writing in, by the way, about Shane Hips and that sermon that we listened to at the, uh, was it Thursday last week? Yeah, I think it was Thursday. Shane Hips on Jonah. All right, Pastor Charmley writes, he says, Dear Chris, uh, a few thoughts about Rob Bell's associate. First of all, Shane Hips is quite incorrect on the nature of prophecy. <laughs> okay, I agree with you. I can't wait to hear the details. He, he says he confines himself entirely to the latter prophets, and thus his definition fails to take into account the former prophets, Joshua through Second Kings. These are historical works, and they are anonymous. Yet no one supposes that they are allegorical. Good point. Yeah, that's right. Who is the uh, can you I can't even name for you the author of First Kings, Second Kings. Um no, I can't. Uh, we continue. Um I begin to wonder where Shane Hips did his study or indeed if he has any proper Bible training at all. And I don't mean a degree. Uh, I studied at a non-accredited institution. He's a marvel. Uh, Shane Hips is a marvel at eisegesis as for exegeting the Bible, no banana. No doubt, as a postmodernist, he denies that there is a meaning in the text, and therefore the text may be used by him as a jumping-off point for his own ideas. That's exactly what he did there. When somebody's allegorizing the Bible, they just basically use the Bible to jump off into oblivion to kind of make you believe that their ideas are biblical. Some of us are old-fashioned enough to think that we ought to actually study the text and believe that, just as Shane Hips expects his listeners to understand what he is saying so we can read the Bible and discover what the biblical authors intended to say. Granted, it takes more work than Shane Hips' method, but the results are worth it. Shane Hips confirms what I've thought for a long time, which is that most allegorical preaching fails because it fails to take the text at all seriously. Emanuel Swedenborg at least had the excuse that he claimed God had revealed the principles of his allegory to him. Uh, what's Shane? 
<laughs> yeah, what's Jade Hitt's excuse? Uh, well, he's trying to appeal to postmoderns, can't you tell? Uh, he says, I suspect hips would deny that drugs and pornography can usher one into the ultimate reality since by their very nature they are, uh, they are an unreality. But it would be nice if he had made that more specific. And does anyone else make the move uh, my mind did about giving an, a, a name to pain? The Tim, per- Tim Burton Batman picture had the line, I have given a name to, uh, to I have given a name to me pain Batman. It was used on some merchandise and has become stuck in my memory as of last as a lot of useless material does. You know what's funny, Pastor Charmley? I'm trying to look for a way to like delete memories uh, from my brain so that I can have extra space in my hard drive up there to store data. I'm, I'm finding like the second and third grade are getting in the way of, of anyway. Sadly, I find Rob Bell's conference in uh, Stoke is sold out. I always knew we had emergence in the city. We also have a purpose-driven church that meets in a former cinema. At least they have uh, that excuse for the place looking like a cinema and has a multi-site thing going on, too. In the great name of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. Great email again. Thank you for for chiming in, Pastor Charmley. Now, uh, if you remember (coughs) talking about Shane Hips and his sermon... um, the day after I did that sermon review, uh, Ron Ron Riley from uh, Portland, Oregon, he and his son, uh, Timothy, actually, is the one who discovered this. He, uh, he wrote on my Facebook wall, Ron says, I realize that a, that a teaching pastor should not have to do research or anything. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. I realize that a teaching pastor should not have to do research or anything, but my son found this reference in the intro to Jonah in my ESV study Bible about how Second King, how about Second Kings chapter fourteen, verse twenty-three, that says, "In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of uh, Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria." Let me continue reading here. And he reigned for 41 years, verse 24. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Hang with me. Trust me, this has a point. Uh, which he made for is, uh, uh, made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel and uh, Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hepfer. Whoops. <laughs> you mean, <clears throat> Ron and Timothy, listen, are you, you guys, you're quoting this verse as if you're you're saying that Joan is a historical person, man. Don't you understand the whole thing's like postmodern allegory? <clears throat> Great verse, by the way. Great verse. And, 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 you know, love it. This is exactly, you guys are doing what you're supposed to do, comparing what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. And so Ron and Timothy there... Um, uh, Timothy found it. Ron posted it, and uh, give them both credit for uh, for their parts. Uh, they found a passage in Second Kings chapter fourteen, which mentions the historical Jonah, the prophet, who is the son of Amittai, who also happens to be uh, the one whom the the book of Jonah is about. Well, it's actually about God, but y- you understand what I'm saying. So there you have it. Um, so much for allegory. Yeah, again. I can't emphasize this enough. When a pastor sits there and says, oh, there's nothing here that's historical, that means it's meant to be understood allegorically, he'd be lying to you. He's not telling you the truth. 
And that allegory stuff, all that is is a jumping off point for them to, as Pastor Charlie pointed out, a jumping off point for them to assert their own ideas. Oh, this is allegorical. Let me show you what the deeper truth is. And the deeper truth isn't really found in the Bible. It's found in the fantasy world of the um, pastor preaching. Okay, so good stuff there. Uh, love the fact that, uh, well, once again, the Bible text shows Shane Hips to be false. There's a shock. Okay, and then this email came in. And this, by the way, I wanted to let you know that uh, this is from Tracy in Brentwood, Essex in the UK. And Tracy's email is the inspiration for a new feature that we're going to have here from time to time here at Fighting for the Faith. But let me first read the email and we'll talk about this feature. Uh, uh, Dear Chris, uh, crew member Tracy from across the pond again. Just read this scripture, thought I'd share it with you. Says it all, don't you think, if it was good enough for Paul, why not good enough for the seeker-sensitive preachers? I've highlighted the bits that particularly rang bells with me. Now, she did some bolding here. Second Corinthians chapter 4 from the English Sanctified Version, which I'm glad that she's reading. Good translation, too. I just I love this translation. We read, uh, verse starting at verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by open... <laughs> this is a great verse, Tracy. <laughs> this is really good. Let me read that again. Hang on a second. I'm excited about this passage. Hang on. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Love it. But by the opening statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we pro- for what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord. <laughs> yes, this is so good. Okay, so Second Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 2, not tampering with God's word. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, we proclaim what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus Christ's sake. For God, who said, let shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, this is wonderful. Kind of puts, uh, Tracy continues, she says, kind of puts, uh, 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 puts paid to the bait and switch that is disgraceful, underhanded method of preaching and also any preaching which centers on the preachers and his adorable children and not on our Lord. Keep up the good work, Captain uh, God bless you, your sister in Christ, Tracy from uh, Brentwood, Essex in the UK. Now, I want to the great passage. Love the fact that you sent this to me. You're right. The scriptures make this point, not tampering with God's word, engaging in underhanded cunning tactics or anything of that nature, and that we are to proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, interesting. I want to point something out to you here. Just real. The ESV, The one of the things I like about this translation is that it keeps Paul's... Um, Word order. Sometimes in the Greek language, uh, what will happen is, is that if you want to really emphasize something, you can put you can put the words, you can change the order of the sentence around. Um, 
the, if you were to just put it in uh, subject, uh, verb, and direct objects and things like that, the the the, the, the verse five should read, um, but we. Um, uh, but we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, not ourselves. That'd be another way of putting it. But Paul writes, he says, we proclaim what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. This is kind of an, you know, an emphatic position here. So the idea here is, is that when we preach, we're not preaching about ourselves. We're preaching Christ, Jesus Christ as Lord. We're preaching Jesus as Lord. Now, the reason why I, this email it just struck me, first of all, it's a great email, great point, good stuff. And this is this email is now the inspiration for what I hope will be a somewhat regular feature here at Fighting for the Faith. As you know, second hour here at Fighting for the Faith, we do sermon reviews. Now, I've been known from time to time to have what we call our sermon cage fights. Now, the sermon cage fights are fun, but this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus as Lord, that's going to be the, uh, the kind of the the inspiration passage for a new sermon game show that we're going to do from time to time called who is this sermon about? That's right. Who is this sermon about in hour number two today? It'll be our very first premiere edition of our game show. Who is this sermon about? And, uh, and it, it, for today, our first contestant for who is this sermon about is going to be uh, uh, Rob pastor, Rob Wenger, uh, Wagner from uh, Granger Community Church in South Bend, Indiana, one of the most uh, foremost seeker-driven, purpose-driven churches on the planet. And the name of the sermon is Transformational Leadership. So we're going to basically take use 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus is Lord. And we're going to play a game show, and we're going to ask, during the course of the sermon review on our game show today, we're going to determine who this sermon is about. Is it about Jesus Christ as Lord? Or is uh, Pastor Rob Wagner preaching ourselves? Well, we're going to find out. So you you don't want to miss that. So Tracy, thank you for the great email. It was a uh, in you know my sick brain. It w- it was such inspiration that I ended up making an entire game show about it. So I hope you enjoy today's edition uh, of uh, Who Is This Sermon About? Our very first ever premiere uh, sermon game show designed to figure out who a sermon is about. So that'll be in the second hour today. Okay. <laughs> Moving along, moving along. Got lots of stuff here uh, that we need to cover. Hang on a second here. From the hereiblog.com website, subject reads, Dynamite Sermon Illustrations. This is by uh, Mark uh, Lamprecht of uh, uh, the Here I Blog website. And uh, th- I just thought this was really Useful in light of the fact that we recently did a sermon where um, the pastor, if I, uh, I kid you not, if I had a dollar for every time I heard some pastor twist the Greek word dunamis into meaning dynamite, I would probably be a very wealthy man. But as it is, I'm not. Anyway, um, Mark writes, he says, as the story goes, the uh, let's see, as the story goes, we get our word dynamite from the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis means power. This can be a powerful illustration in the sermon where we read about the power of God in the Bible. We can actually see the dynamite of God. Now, hang on, there's a little tongue-in-cheek going on here. Powerful, right? Well, if you're tracking with me, I have some illustrations to offer using the power-slash-dynamite replacement method. Just take the places where the Greek word dunamis is used and replace it with dynamite and voila! Okay? 
that's uh, my lame attempt at French. <clears throat> Let me continue. There are more verses, but I, I'm just taking a few from the NASB that would make J.J. Walker proud. Here we go. So he, he's given us, uh, Mark is giving us some examples of uh, passages in the New Testament where the Greek word dudamus is, is used, which, by the way, means power. And we're going to replace it with the uh, the English word dynamite. Now, I'm not going to read all of the examples here because this um, this is a little tongue-in-cheek. But let, let me see. Matthew 22, 29. But Jesus answered them and said, You are mistaking not understanding the scriptures nor the dynamite of God. <laughs> Mark 5.30. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that dynamite proceeded from him, <laughs> had gone forth, turned around to the crowd and said, Who touched me? Um, Mark 6.14. And King Herod heard of it. And for his name had become well-known, and people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. That's why these miraculous dynamites are at work in him. (laughs) Oh, this is good. Romans uh, 15, 19. In the dynamite of signs and wonders, in the dynamite of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and around about as far as I lurk him, I have fully preached the gospel of Jesus. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of dynamite. <laughs> 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty six. The sting of death is sin, and the dynamite of the sin is the law. Oh, good night. You kind of get the idea. So he asked the question, Awesome, huh? Now I will let, let D.A. Carson tell you why you shouldn't use them. Our word dynamite is etymologically derived from the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis equals power or even miracle. I do not know how many times I've heard preachers offer some such rendering of Romans chapter 1 verse 16 as this. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the dynamite of God and the salvation for everyone who believes. Often with a knowing tilt of the head as if something profound or even esoteric has been uttered. Uh, this is not just the old root fallacy revisited. It's worse. It's an appeal to a kind of reverse etymology, the root fallacy compounded by anachronism. By the way, they didn't have dynamite back then. Did Paul think of dynamite when he penned this word? And in compound, uh, and, and in compound, uh, any case, even to mention dynamite is a kind of analogy to singularly, uh, analogy is singularly inappropriate. Dynamite blows things up, tears things down, rips out rock, gouges holes, destroys things. The power of God concerning which Paul speaks of often identifies with the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And as it operates in us, its goal is uh, aiming for the wholeness and the perfection implicit in the consummation of our salvation. Quite apart from the semantic anachronism, therefore, dynamite appears inadequate as a means of raising Jesus from the dead or as a means of conforming us to the likeness of Christ. Of course, what preachers are trying to do when they talk about dynamite is give some indication of the greatness of the power involved. Even so, Paul's measure is not dynamite, but the empty tomb. That's from D.A. Carson's book, Exegetical Fallacies, second edition, Grand Rapids Baker uh, Publishing House, uh, 2002, verse, uh, pages 33 and 34. So the next time you hear this illustration uh, used kindly... Uh, <coughs> used kindly email in this blog post <laughs> you might even pray for him go talk with him first so there you go this whole dynamite illustration um mark here on in his um in his uh, blog post well he just blew that one right out of the water pun intended all right moving along from the christian post jennifer riley wrote 
writes, uh, Jonas Brothers to perform at Saddleback Church. Um, by the way, and this is during their Easter service. Now, I want to read this for you. Um, <sighs> the wildly popular yet wholesome Jonas Brothers will perform for Saddleback Church next month during the Southern California Megachurch's Easter service. <laughs> Makes you wonder, okay? Okay, Rick Warren has changed the purpose-driven conferences. He's changed the name of them to Radicalis. Okay, but it's the same purpose-driven conference material, uh, the Druckerite knowledge products that uh, Rick Warren is offering there during his conferences, but they are just repackaged under a new and hip name, Radicalis. Ooh, that sounds great. And so now we've got Rick Warren inviting the Jonas Brothers to perform at Saddleback Church's Easter service. It makes you wonder, is uh, Rick Warren becoming less and less relevant among the younger and younger crowd that's coming up? I mean, that's the thing about relevancy. got to tell you, relevancy is a fickle mistress. Just I'm telling you, you, you marry relevancy and uh, you will be, um, well, you'll be single before you know it. Because uh, that's the thing about relevancy. She never really is faithful to any one person. She kind of flits around. She's kind of easy. You know what I mean? Anyway, uh, Saddleback Senior Pastor Rick Warren announced that the pop rock boy band's upcoming performance this week in a tweet two months before his church kicks off a flurry of activities. This year's this year, Saddleback's Easter. By the way, this whole Jonas Brothers thing, this isn't even the best part of the story. It's coming up. This year, Saddleback's Easter service will be unlike any of its previous ones, and not just because the Jonas Brothers will be there along with Christian music artist Carrie Job. Besides Easter, the Lake Forest California Megachurch will also be celebrating its 30th anniversary. For the occasion, Saddleback has rented the Angel Stadium in Anaheim and plans to hold the service with about 50,000 people. Okay, now, so here's the deal. Let me paint the picture for you. Easter Sunday, okay? It's Easter Sunday. You're not going to church at Saddleback. You're going to show up at Anaheim Stadium. And the Jonas Brothers are going to be performing. Does that does that verb ring any? Performing. Is church supposed to be a performance? But we continue. Quote, <clears throat> This Easter will be unlike any we've had at Saddleback before. As we rejoice together for one momentous service at Angel Stadium in Anaheim, the church states in its Easter webpage, quote, we'll have special guests, inspiring worship, and Pastor Rick will take a memorable look back at where we've been as a church. And most importantly, okay, now hold on a second here. This is an Easter service, okay? Let me tell you how the sentence should finish, Okay. So here at this Angel Stadium Circus event on Easter Sunday, the the Saddleback has said, we're going to have special guests inspiring worship. They're going to have the boy band, the Jonas Brothers performing. And Pastor Rick will take a memorable look back at where we've been as a church. And most importantly, we're going to talk about the way the sentence should read, Jesus and his death on the cross for our sins and his victorious resurrection from the grave for our justification. That's how the sentence should read. It doesn't. Here's what it says. Okay. Pastor Rick will take a memorable look back at where we've been as a church and most importantly talk about the future. I'm wondering if Jesus is going to make an appearance at this uh, Angel Stadium event on Easter Sunday. I mean, isn't 
Easter all about Jesus? I mean, I, I'm thinking, you know, Jesus might get honorable mention on Easter Sunday there at Saddleback and Angel Stadium. I mean, but they have the Jonas Brothers, so who cares if Jesus shows up or not? I'm sure every 14-year-old girl that attends Saddleback Church is just going to sit there and go, I don't care about Jesus. Look, it's the Jonas Brothers. They're right there. Why is he so cute? <laughs> <clears throat> There you go. All right, we're up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Circus Church, unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances in the current miserable state of the church, uh, we can no longer parody the church because the church just parodies itself. For proof of this particular concept, uh, we now present to you um, the uh, Holy Ghost Okie Pokey. I'll tell you, three weeks ago, we did a Friday Night School of the Spirit, and we saw 12 people heal the word of knowledge and 40 healed during the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. Let's just go ahead and do that and see what the Lord does. You guys okay to do a little Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey? Can you lead it? All right, Brian's going to lead us in the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. You can... Put your right hand in, put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you dig your right hand out. You put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. You put your left
summer travel seasons are just around the corner and the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare hotel and rental car than you need to that's why pirate christian radio is proud to have cheapo air as one of our featured advertisers cheapo air has over 18 million flight deals low airfare guarantees and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe and if you visit our website piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. If your church's Easter service is about your church and not the crucified and risen Lord, you're not going to a church. You're in the wrong place. All right, I need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio, and that means we depend upon your generous financial gifts and contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you. 
That's right. Would you partner with us? You should. If you haven't, you really should. And the way you do so is by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And there on our website, we have two friendly yellow donate buttons right there on our website. The first one says, join our crew. Now, I know that sounds ominous, but it's really not. It's it's a mere $6.95 a month. And trust me, you'll see the world if you do. Well, actually, you won't. But, but you get what I'm saying. You join our crew. It, it you, You're supporting us. A, a nominal amount each and every month, $6.95. It's it's pittance. It's nothing. It's a happy meal. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and then when you do join, by the way, you get access to our Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio Crew, a growing treasure trove of theological resources designed to help you grow, go deeper in God's Word, Christ-centered theology and apologetics. Good stuff. And, of course, if you'd like to... Uh, fill in the amount you know that you would like to uh, contribute to our cause. You can do so by clicking on the donate button, and then that allows you to fill in the blank. And that's all done securely online. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and send it to Post Office Box five zero eight Fishers, Indiana, zip code four six zero three eight. All right, time to do a little Patricia King uh, work here. She's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, that's right. Today's Patricia King example, we're going to demonstrate, using Patricia King, if you would, how the uh, heresy two-step occurs. That's right. And in this uh, little uh, Patricia King example, you're going to hear her start with a biblical text that's about Jesus and see, that's how the heresy two-step works. If you remember a few weeks ago, I invited my good friend, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of uh, Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, onto the program, and uh, we reviewed a uh, Rick Warren uh, radicalist speech, and uh, we talked about the heresy two-step. So what happens is, is that, imagine if you would, if you know the Texas two-step, you basically put the Bible down on the ground and you begin on the text. Now, the, the next move, then, is a slide. You slide your foot, either right or left. It doesn't really matter. You slide your foot backwards, and then you move backwards from the text, and then you shimmy either right or left. So the idea is by sliding, by starting at the text, you slide backwards. It creates this appearance that you are actually doing biblical teaching. But when you slide backwards, you're no longer on the text. And see, the whole purpose of starting on the text is to create the illusion, the illusion that you're actually engaging in biblical teaching. And uh, in this example from Patricia King, she's going to begin in a text about Jesus, and she's going to correctly identify that this text is about Jesus. And then she's going to step off the text, just slide backwards off of it, and then shimmy to the left and begin talking about angels. And one of them apparently is mint green in color. <clears throat> Here's um, Patricia King. Hi, today I want to talk about angels. And my good friend Georgian Banov has some things to share with you that are really exciting about angelic encounters. But first of all, I want to read out of Hebrews chapter 1. Okay, now notice that the heresy two steps be begins on the Bible. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 1. She's on the scriptures. This is the first move in the heresy two steps. And it says, God... After he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these days has spoken to us in his son, whom he, have, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. 
and he, that is Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Wow, you'd almost think she's preaching and teaching about Jesus there. I mean, well, she's just reading the text. Keep in mind, this is the first move in the heresy two-step. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings a firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. I mean, this is the longest I've ever heard Patricia King talk about Jesus. Well, really, she's only reading the text. This is all part of the, this is the opening move of the heresy two-step. Now watch this. And the, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Now, this whole chapter is about the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Right. I, <laughs> that's correct. Ding, ding, ding. She gets a point. I mean, she's absolutely spot on right. I mean, I'd never thought I would hear. Hang on a second here. This is the heresy two-step. I forgot. Don't get too excited. Hang on. Watch what happens next. He is exalted above all else and especially above the angels. He is better than angels and he is the focus of our attention, of our worship, of our love. And yet we know that the Bible teaches so much about angels. What? <laughs> okay, that move right there that you just heard, that was Patricia King sliding backwards. Remember the heresy two-step. You begin on the scriptures, and then you slide backwards. That was the slide. <laughs> she says, yeah, here we talk about Jesus, and yet it talks about angels. Wait a second. That's kind of like missing the whole point of the text. Let, let me, uh, for those of you who, who it was way too quick for you here, that's good news here is just like any good sports cast, we are able to do the replay on, you know, you know, let's do an instant replay on that. Here we go. Listen carefully. All else, and especially above the angels. He is better than angels, and he is the focus of our attention, of our worship, uh-huh. of our love. Yeah. And yet... We, there, there's the transition. You know that the Bible teaches so much about angels. Notice the slide backwards. The whole text is about Christ. And now she's through, through in the words. And yet the Bible tells us so much about angels. Okay. Now that, that whole opening there was to create the illusion that this is biblical teaching. Let's continue. They of course are not to be worshiped. Like we worship God. They are not to be adored in the way that we adore our savior, but they are to be respected and honored because they come from God. He says, they are my, my winds and they're my messengers of fire, my ministers of fire. And so, so apparently angels are the wind beneath her seat. So God created angels for his purposes and they're part of our kingdom. And the Bible is full of references concerning angels and their assignments. 
It says in verse 14 of this same chapter, actually, let's go back to 13. It says, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So she's taking a passage that's about Jesus, and she's kind of focusing in on the lesser point altogether. Okay. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that they're not to be worshipped like Jesus, but they're to be enjoyed because... No, the writer of Hebrews is not saying that angels are to be enjoyed. Okay, now, now, okay, so you notice the slide backwards, and now this is the shimmy to the left. She's engaging in the heresy two-step. She started on the scriptures, she slid backwards, and now this is the shimmy to the left, where she apparently just inserted into this text that she's mangling now that's about Jesus, basically making the assertion that the writer of the Hebrews is telling us, not in any words that he actually wrote, but he's telling us that angels are to be enjoyed. You know, like Slurpees and and fine-aged cheese or something like that. They're there to minister to you and to me. They minister to God, but they minister to those who are heirs of salvation. Okay, now here, now we are off the text now. She's closing the Bible, and now we go into off-roading, spiritual off-roading. This is this, the, the third move here in the heresy two-step. We're off the scriptures. We're... Now heading into La La Land. Recently, I have been visited, or um, been visited by a memory, I should say. I've... <laughs> what? <laughs> huh? <laughs> Recently, I've been visited by a memory. Okay, wh- where's that in the Bible? Re- again, keep in mind, the whole point of the heresy two-step is you begin in the scriptures, you slide back, shimmy to the left, and now you don't have to actually teach what the Bible teaches. That was just to create the illusion that you're actually engaging in biblical teaching. Let's continue. I've been remembering an encounter I had a number of years ago with a specific angel called the Angel of Prosperity. Huh? Where's the angel of prosperity mentioned in the Bible? He's not. It's not. I. There's different names for angels throughout the script. uh, The scripture we do see some. Yeah, Michael and Gabriel. That's it. The spirit of wisdom. The spirit of revelation. Uh, What? The spirit of wisdom is an angel. The spirit of revelation. Oh man. (sighs) <sighs> spirit of might that word um spirit can be an angel angels are spirits he says are they not all ministering spirits so wherever you see spirit in little s with words around you can oh this is just stupid see that 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 could be the name of an angel uh-huh, yeah. so we've got spirits of revelation spirits of wisdom spirits of might um but there's also names for angels that aren't necessarily written in the bible oh yeah you know and But, of course, thankfully, she has met with them for us, and she knows some of their names. There's angels that minister the different attributes of God and the presence of God, um, the character of God, the nature of God, the gifts of God. And so they... Uh, none of this is taught anywhere in the Bible. She's just making it up. They can carry that name. And so when I met the angel of prosperity, it actually... The, 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 <laughs> 
<laughs> when you met the angel of prosperity, really? Did you have coffee with him at Starbucks? Or did he invite you to one of those fine caviar bars in downtown Manhattan? I just, I'm curious. Came in kind of a minty green sort of color. I saw it as... <laughs> what a coincidence! The angel of prosperity is the same color as money. <laughs> oh, man. It's a light and it had movement to it. And the Lord spoke to me. The Holy Spirit said... Yeah, right. Sure. Uh-huh. Listen, <clears throat> Patricia, to steal a line from the Reformation, I wouldn't believe the Holy Spirit spoke to you if you swallowed him feathers and all. That's not original to me, by the way. This is the angel of prosperity. Now, Bible prosperity is different from a world mindset on prosperity. Uh -huh. See, we serve yeah. a God of more than enough. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. He's a God yeah. of abundance. Yeah. He's a right. God of extravagant uh -huh. love and goodness. Yeah. Everything about him is great. Everything. Okay, I think you get what we're talking about here. That is the heresy two-step in action and me deconstructing it as we went. And, you know, I thought would be appropriate is, you know, I found some good music that goes along with the uh, heresy two-step. Texas two-step, there's some music that's appropriate for it. So here we go. <laughs> Anyone takes that woman seriously, I just don't know. But I am so thankful for her be for this very reason. I mean, she's the gift that keeps on giving here, and she is a perfect example of what uh, Pastor Wolf Mueller has dubbed uh, the heresy two-step. There you go, way down south in the Chattahoochee. All right, switching gears one more time before our second break. If you're a regular listener to Fighting for the Faith, then you know that one of the things we talk about here is um, the false methodologies of the seeker-driven, purpose-driven movement. And this is down in the foundation level to it. And if you haven't listened to my uh, special edition of Fighting for the Faith, this is a good time for you to do it. I did a special edition on the, on the hostile takeover tactics, cult-like hostile takeover tactics of the uh, seeker-driven, purpose-driven movement and did a three-part series really just blowing the lid off of the false methodologies uh, employed by the seeker-driven movement. Now, let me explain to you how this works, okay? What happens is, is that a seeker-driven pastor is taught that God has a specific vision or dream for your church. God has a dream for your church, and the pastor has to make himself worthy to receive that vision for the church. And, of course, it always involves uh, tremendous, exciting uh, numerical growth, and so God has a vision for uh, for you to, your church to grow. Your pastor has to show himself worthy to God to receive the vision. 
once God has deemed him worthy to receive the vision, God gives him the vision of what he's supposed to do. And then the pastor, then his job is to cast the vision uh, to the people in the congregation. And then everybody needs to unite behind the vision and do the things necessary to make it happen. The job of the pastor is to cast the vision and empower everybody to do the vision. Okay, here's the problem is that these are false visions. These are false visions. And here's the deal. If you challenge or question or ask any questions or you know, basically say, hey, wait a second there, Pastor, I'm not sure if that vision jives with the Word of God, then you are actually guilty of um, challenging and questioning God, and you have to go. You, you, you are gone. You are, asked, you are shown the door and, uh, and asked to leave, and in some cases they might even issue a, uh, a restraining order against you to keep you from coming back on the church property. I'm not making that up. That's just a fact. Okay, now... Here's the deal. Usually in the early part of each year, seeker-driven pastors recast the vision or they re-examine the vision or, or wait for new details on the vision to be given by God. Well, this year at Granger Community Church, Mark Beeson, apparently God has uh, <clears throat> called him to uh, have the uh, members of Granger Community Church share in the vision casting thing. And uh, there's a video that just went up three days ago called My Dream for Granger Community Church. And uh, see if you can make any sense of this. Uh, here's uh, Pastor Mark Beeson of uh, Granger Community Church, South Bend, Indiana. We are in a very interesting time, you and I. The world is changing. I mean, everything's changing. There okay, now, why is he leading off with this change thing? Oh, the world is changing. Ah, that means the church must change or die. No mention to uh, – they don't even give lip service anymore to the unchanging gospel because they have long ago changed that message. There's more information available to men and women around the world than ever before. New technologies are emerging, and we're able to do things we never dreamed we could do 50, 100 years ago, 10 years ago. It's changing that fast. America's changing. America's role in the world may be changing. Some say the climate is changing. I'm not real sure about that. But some say that it is. In all of that change, we have to wonder, what about the church? Why? We've been called to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. That includes 21st century America, 21st century Western culture, 21st century name it. The church doesn't need to change. It needs to be faithful. What is it that the church should be in an ever-changing world? Um, uh, anchor, a rock, a foundation that doesn't move, built on the rock Jesus Christ? I don't think that's what he means. And I don't mean just the church way out there, somebody else, someplace else. What about us? What should the local church be? Um, a place where people can come to hear the word of God and Christ and him crucified for our sins, proclaim Sunday after Sunday, receive uh, God's word and uh, the Lord's Supper every week. How's that? I mean, we're followers of Jesus. We've committed ourselves to his cause and his kingdom. And the Bible says that we're law. We've committed ourselves to his cause and his kingdom. By the way, we're going to talk about that in our um, in our sermon game show today. <sighs> different because of that we're different because we follow christ uh, that we have left darkness and we've come into the light 
There's a passage. Uh, I got my Bible here. I want to read this from First uh, Peter chapter two. It says this: You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It says that you are a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Isn't that what we should be doing then? The way the Christians have been doing that all along. Maybe I'm just looking at this too simplistically here. Maybe you know, just assuming that you know the Bible doesn't change. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, now, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Well, what does that mean? It means that we're forgiven in Christ. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty simple. Uh, once we were enemies of God, once we were dead in trespasses and sins, once we were pagans, uh, and now we've been made alive in Christ through the preaching of the gospel, our sins have been forgiven. You know, that's kind of what that passage means, don't you think, Mark? What is God's dream for us? Oh, no. He's doing the heresy two-step here, too. He started... <laughs> He started with change, moved to a passage, and then slid off the passage, and now what is God's what? Is this your version of delivering God's I have a dream speech? What is God's dream? What's God's dream for the church? What's your dream for the church? Huh? I don't have a dream for the church. It's not my church. And I don't think the Bible talks about God having dreams for the church. God, by the way, just want to make something clear here. Um, The church is not a business. The church, if you would, think of it this way. The church is the body of Christ. And when the church assembles together, you know, the buildings that we meet in, think of them, if you would, as embassies. Okay, we are ambassadors of God's kingdom. We are ambassadors. So the churches are embassies of a different kingdom. And there we hear God's word. We receive the Lord's Supper. You know, things don't change. Um, so my dream for the church, who cares? Uh, nowhere in Scripture does it say that you or I can have dreams for the church. Here's what I know. You have dreams for the church, and so do I. You have dreams and expectations and hopes and aspirations for what the church could be and should be. And so what? You've got to be kidding me. I mean, am I in the place of Jesus Christ that I can usurp him and and basically uh, have my own dreams being foisted on the church? You've got to be kidding me. We're not dealing with a democracy when it comes to the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom. So do I. I'd like to know what those dreams are. I'd like to hear your thoughts. I'd like to know a little bit more about your expectations. Uh, my only expectations are the expectations that Scripture has. Pastor, your job is to preach the word in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with patience and sound doctrine, uh, you know, administer the Lord's Supper, devote yourself to the apostles' preaching, uh, to the prayers, um, and to proclaiming Christ and him crucified for our sins. Plain and simple. That's what the Scripture says. You and I don't get to have dreams for the church. You and I aren't... Yeah. I mean, let's imagine this. What if in this imagine? changing world, the people of God were the people of God? What if we were the church God wants us to be? 
how would you know if you were the church that God wants you to be? There's only one way of knowing. Look in the Bible. You're not going to find it by navel gazing or meditating upon the lint inside of your belly button. You can't look inside of yourself to figure out the dream that God has for the church. It's outside of you. It's in God's word. He's laid it out there for us. Well, that'd be exciting. I mean, I'd want to go to a church like that. But what is that? I mean, specifically, what is that? Why do I feel like I'm hearing the voice of Satan in the garden? Did God really say? What is that? Did he really say? Come on. What is that? I mean, what does that church look like? Let's say you and I were on a journey together from 2010 until 2020 for the next 10 years. If the church was everything you hoped it would be, dreamed it would be for the next 10 years. You're starting in the wrong place. You can only look to the scriptures to know what God wants the church to be. Holy guacamole. What would that look like? I mean, what would that church be? Wouldn't it be great to be? It'd be a mess if it were living up to, quote, my expectations or the general voted upon expectations of those in the community. What a mess. Part of that church, if the church was doing what a church ought to do, if we were being the people God called us to be, I mean, think about that. How great would that be? Notice the law, not the gospel. This is a mess. And I'd want to be a part of a church like that. It, uh, uh, run, run, run. I don't want to have anything to do with this church. It's frightening me to death. I'm not hearing the word of God or even beginning where God's word talks about what the church should be doing and what pastors should be doing. It's kind of starting with, how would you, what would you like it to be? Give me your ideas. What are your dreams, your aspirations, your expectations? Oh, man, this is the... By the way, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul warns about in 2 Timothy chapter 4. People in the latter days will not put up with sound doctrine, but will gather for themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. This is Mark Beeson asking people, all right, listen, what do you want the church to be? Tell me what your itching ears want to hear so that for the next 10 years we can make sure to scratch them for you. That's what you're hearing here. This is an invitation. Please, please, please. I don't want to give you sound doctrine. No, no, no. That's that's divisive. I, I don't want to t uh, do expository Bible teaching because if I did that, then we'd lose everybody. But what I want to know is what do you want from the church? Tell me. What, what, what is it that your ears want to hear? What do you want to see happening? And then I'll make sure to scratch that need. You know, make sure to itch that itch. This is what he's doing here. It, it makes my heart beat fast to think about being a part of a church like that. And it's what I want. Well, I'm not going to see that vision clearly. I'm not going to understand that dream fully unless I hear from you. Unless we share. <laughs> Apparently, he doesn't even need to hear from God anymore. We just need to hear from you. Come on. I can't figure out what you guys want. I can't itch your, scratch your itching ears if you don't tell me what's, what the itch is. They're together so that your ideas and my ideas and all the ideas of all the people in the church can be collected and appreciated and valued and knit together appreciated and valued yep <laughs> listen listen read the, the way you read this okay we have no idea what's coming down pike you know the change is happening so rapidly we don't even know what it is that you want anymore for us to scratch and so you got to tell us so that we can scratch it together to form the real dream for the church the, the vision for granger community church over the next 10 years
Need I say any more? This whole uh, vision casting dream stuff, this ain't biblical. This is not how Christ has his church running at all. He's the king. We're the subjects. We are the heralds, the ones who get to proclaim the message. We don't get to mess with it, monkey with it, or do anything. And God has very specific things he expects his church to be doing. But Granger's not interested in those. No, they uh, they just kind of want to wing it. All right, we are up on our second break. And when we come back, it'll be our first ever sermon game show. The name of the game show is Who Is This Sermon About? And that'll be our sermon review time. And it's going to be uh, Pastor Rob Wegner from Granger Community Church, ironically. And we're going to ask the question, who is this sermon about? So you don't want to miss that. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We will be right back. Reaching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk to you about auto insurance. As the father of two teenage drivers, I know how expensive auto insurance can be. But as expensive as auto insurance is, it's nothing compared to the cost of not having it when you need it. That's why I'm excited to have Allstate Insurance as one of Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertisers. Did you know that drivers who switched to Allstate saved an average of $396 per year compared to what they were paying other companies? Now, I don't know about you, but I think $396 is a lot of money in these tough economic times. Why don't you give Allstate a call and see how much they can save you? You can reach them toll-free at 877-246-1511. Again, that's 877-246-1511. One five one one. The good folks at Allstate will be happy to give you a free quote over the phone. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. <laughs> the spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. 
That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. All right, we are back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. We're well into hour number two. And it's going to be our first ever uh, sermon game show. Give me just a second here. I want to make sure we properly set this thing up. Inspired by uh, Tracy, uh, her email from Brentwood, Essex in the UK. All right, here we go. I'm, I'm nervous and excited. This is it. You're listening to Who Is This Sermon About? The very first sermon game show designed to figure out who a sermon is about. Based upon the biblical text, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, that states, For we, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord. We're going to now apply some game show techniques, if you would, to determine whether or not a sermon, a particular sermon, is about Jesus or, well, if it's about ourselves or something like that. Our very first contestant on this premiere edition of Who Is This Sermon About is Pastor Rob Wagner from Granger Community Church, South Bend, Indiana. Granger Community Church, by the way, is the sixth most influential church on planet Earth. In fact, thousands and thousands of pastors and church leaders from around the country visit Granger Community Church to learn how to do church the way they do church. So we thought that this would be an appropriate uh, first place to start, if you would. Let me uh, kill our theme music here, although it's just so game showy. All right. Now, i got to explain the, uh, the, the way this works. The goal of who is this sermon about is for the pastor contestant at the end of the round to have a point. Now, let me explain how you get points here at uh, who is this sermon about. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be listening to the sermon. Of course, I will be chiming in and reviewing as necessary in the sermon as we go through our review today. But uh, what will happen is, is that any time the pastor mentions somebody, you're going to hear this sound. That's the mention bell. Okay, now... Here's the deal. Just because the pastor mentions somebody doesn't mean that that person is really who the sermon is about. Okay? So when you hear the mention bell, uh, when you hear the mention bell, the pastor then has 60 seconds to give an illustration 
from the person's life that he mentioned to prove that that person really is could potentially be the subject of the sermon. Now, if he succeeds, you'll hear this noise. Now, that means that the person mentioned will get a what we call a subject tally mark. Okay. For instance, if let's just kind of pull up an example here. Let's not that he would, but let's say that Pastor Rob Weng, uh, Wagner mentions uh, pi- uh, former Prime Minister of England Tony Blair. Then you would hear this. Okay. Now he then at that point has sixty seconds to give an illustration from Tony Blair's life that would potentially mean that uh, Tony Blair is in the running for being the subject of the sermon itself. And if that happens, you'll hear this. But if he doesn't, then you hear this. Okay, that means that uh, Tony Blair really probably isn't the subject of the sermon and therefore doesn't get a sermon tally mark. Okay, now, to get points for himself, Pastor Rob Weng- uh, Wagner needs to preach about Jesus. Because what does Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 say? For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So for every time that Jesus is not just mentioned, if he mentions Jesus, you hear this. But Pastor Wagner then gets into the scriptures and explains something from Jesus' life that Christ has done for us. Then you'll hear this. Jesus then gets a subject tally mark. For each subject tally mark that Jesus gets, Pastor Wagner uh, Wagner gets five points. Okay, now I need to tell you though, it's possible to lose points. Okay, anytime Pastor Wagner uh, uh, twists God's word or the, our pastor contestant uh, twists God's word, you'll hear this sound. Yeah, now that means that he loses all of his points, every single one of them. Okay, now that's, that's a bad thing. You don't want that to happen because remember, the goal here is for the pastor at the end of the round to have a point. So the idea then is is that the pastor needs to have these points. Now, what will happen then is is at the end of the sermon, what we're going to do is we're going to tally up the subject tally marks for each of the persons mentioned by Pastor Wagner who potentially could be the subject of the of the sermon. And if Jesus has more subject tally marks than anybody else in the sermon, then the sermon will, will deem that uh, being about Jesus. And not only will Pastor Wenger get a point, he'll get 10,000 points. But, but if somebody else other than Jesus is the subject of the sermon, then Pastor Wagner loses all of his points and he failed to have a point. And, uh, and, and unfortunately, he would not even get any lovely parting gifts here from our <clears throat> game show. Who is this sermon about? So without any further ado, uh, let me dive into our sermon. Uh, the sermon for consideration in today's edition of Who is the Sermon About is entitled um, Transformational Leadership. It was uh, preached at Granger Community Church on uh, February 15th, 2010. So it's it's semi-fresh. And uh, here is Pastor Rob Wegner, and we're going to determine who this sermon is about. Come on, let's keep that up. That's an amazing story. God is is writing an amazing story through our shared life together. I look at that and I think, man, that is not normal. How many of you know GCC is not normal? We're a weird church. God's up to some very unusual things. 
And here's how big our God is. Every single one of us in this room has a role and an important part to play in the story that God is writing. Now, I know walking in here, hey, maybe this is even the first time you've been here. Okay, got to stop here for a second. What? Is, what is he talking about? Every single one of us has an important role in the story that God is writing? <clears throat> so, I, hang on a second here. I guess technically this... There we go. Uh, first mention, by the way, uh, is uh, the people the, the people at Granger. People of Granger. Got to write this down. Um, let's see what he does with this. Um, the people of so we're a part of the story that God is writing. Let's continue. For the friend, you're thinking, wait, uh, I don't know, not me. But this is how big our God is. Right now, as he looks at this room, it's not some kind of nameless, faceless, blurry mass of humanity. He knows every single one of us by name. Jesus Christ, the glorious one, the risen Savior. Okay, hang on a second here. That's a mention of Jesus. Hang on. Jesus is mentioned. Hang on. The light of the world. He is fully present in this room right now. And he knows you're here. And he knows. Okay, hang on a second here. Yeah, see, he mentioned Jesus, but he's not going into the scriptures to tell us about Jesus. He just kind of mentioned him in passing. So I'm sorry, but Jesus doesn't get a, a men, doesn't actually get a subject tally mark uh, at, at, on that mention. Okay, let's continue. But the people of Granger are still being mentioned. So let's continue. Knows you by name. In fact, you were his idea. He designed you. And you're alive right now at this point in time in history, in this place, because there's something unique about you that you can contribute. And in this story that God is writing. Okay, hang on a second here. Okay, the people of Granger have just received a subject tally mark. Okay, that's one mark for the people of Granger. The, 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 but uh, Jesus actually didn't get that. Okay, so, so far, who, who the sermon could be about is it definitely could be about the people of Granger Community Church, but technically it's not about Jesus, even though he was mentioned. Let's continue. There's an important role for you. And, and what he's doing through our collaborative shared life together through this movement called GCC. It, it, okay, hang on a second here. That's another mention. That's another mention of GCC. Okay, let's continue. It's bigger than the sum of the parts. God is doing something amazing. And, and when you think about this, this story that's called Granger Community Church, it, it's a movement. And it starts with this person, Jesus, and he's... Okay, hang on a second here. He mentioned Jesus. Okay, we again, once again, we have two people being, two different groups really being mentioned. One, Granger Community Church, and Jesus just got mentioned again. Leading the way for us. And inside of this macro story, there are thousands at this point in time, thousands and thousands of micro stories there are individual lives and stories all over South Bend and Mishawaka, Elkhart, Dewajak, even Dewajak. Okay, hang on a second here. We've got, got two things here. Okay, first of all, Jesus, uh, no, he doesn't get another, um, no, Jesus was mentioned, but he's not the subject. Um, and the people of Granger, they, though, the people of Granger do get, yeah, that's right. That's the second time in the sermon that the people of Granger, where not only have they been mentioned, but their story has been used to illustrate something. So 
So far, Jesus zero, people, uh, Granger Community Church, the people of Granger Community Church, two, okay? And that means that uh, Pastor uh, Rob Wagner here has zero points. Just want to continue. All right. I mean, all over the place, now including India and China and Sudan, there's all of these thousands of micro stories within this macro story. And when you start to consider the exponential impact of all of these thousands of micro stories, it's like kaboom, exponential. Let me just share a couple that uh, hit my radar again just in the last couple weeks. Uh, I met Jerry a few weeks ago, and his wife is Angie. Now, okay, now I'm going to point something out here. This sermon isn't about Jerry, but Jerry actually is, well, um, he's one of the people of Granger Community Church. Okay, so now we've got a, a potential third uh, subject tally mark for uh, for the people of Granger. Uh, Jesus still has zero, though. Let's see if uh, this actually turns into a full-blown subject tally mark for the uh, people of Granger here. Jerry has been a part of the this macro GCC story slash movement for five years, but our lives overlapped recently. So we were getting to know each other and he was telling me his story and he said, uh, I came to GCC about five years ago. Uh, we started in this series called The Marriage Jungle and that pretty much described the condition of their marriage at that time. He said things were uh, disintegrating, they were not headed in an upward direction. And we came to the marriage jungle and a light turned on. And then there was this offer of a marriage retreat at the end of that series. And we went to it and he said, Okay, I got to give him the point. Hang on. Okay, that's another subject tally mark for the people of Granger that has been confirmed. Uh, so that's three points subject tally marks for the people of Granger Community Church. Zero for Jesus Christ, although he has been mentioned twice now. Okay, let's continue. Rob, i got to tell you, if it weren't for Jesus and what he did through the ministry of GCC, we would be divorced. Now, that's a profound statement, but he said that from the depths of his being, by his own confession. If, if my story hadn't overlapped with this GCC movement, we wouldn't have our marriage anymore. Now, think about the repercussions of that. See, because they have two kids. And someday, probably their kids are going to have kids. And I bet their kids are going to have kids so here's the amazing thing. Just inside of this one micro story, there's an entire family lineage. Instead of disintegrating and falling apart and being scattered, it was swept upward into lift and elevation and transformation. That's just one little micro story that changed the whole trajectory of an entire family line. Okay, got to point something out here. I, uh, just the, This is an illustration that I'm going to probably beat to death, but here's the deal. Uh, Tiger Woods uh, is having life transformation completely done without the help of Jesus. Uh, he's, his marriage is going to be saved as a result of the therapy that he's undergoing and the commitment to changing his life and mending his ways. Um, should we talk about the ministry of the uh, uh, recovery group that he's a part of or the therapist that uh, helped him uh, with this to save his marriage? By the way, if Tiger Woods continues and persists in his unbelief in his Buddhism, then when he dies, he will face judgment and uh, and will end up in hell. Just, I just had to point that out. So, okay, all right, so far, this, this the, who, who this sermon is about is the people of Granger Community Church, not Jesus. Three subject tally marks to the people of Granger, 
Jesus has been mentioned twice, but that he actually failed to be the subject uh, properly of any of those mentions. Let's continue. Now, here's what's fascinating. Near the end of that conversation, Jerry looked at me, and he was real sober. And he said, you know, sometimes I shudder a little bit because I think about how close I was to not coming. He said, you see, I grew up in a religious institution, in a religious school, and when I graduated, I was done. Like, I hated church. I hated religious leaders. I hated religion. I ran as hard as I could the other direction. He said, in fact, the only reason I came is because my friend Marcy, another story here in the GCC movement, she bribed me with the promise of wings, etc., so that's amazing to consider. An entire family trajectory elevated and changed because of the power of wings, etc. Praise God, glory, hallelujah. It was actually Jesus, but wings was a part of it. Wow. Uh, hang on a second. A mention of Jesus. Okay, Jesus was just mentioned. Let's see if he gives us an illustration from Jesus' life. Wow. That's just one of these little micro stories. Let me pull out another one. You're going to see on the screen 11 beautiful, smiling faces. I actually have their pictures. Okay, hang on a second. The 11 beautiful, smiling faces. That's a mention of the people at Granger. Okay, um, let's see. So far, we, so we have a potential subject tally mark for the people of Granger. And we have a third for Jesus. Let's see if he mentions anything about Jesus' life. On my wall in my office. And these are children who live in Erla County. Now, Erla is the untouchable caste in India. Okay, so, hang on a second here. Uh, two things I got to point out here. Uh, he, he successfully. Okay, that is another subject tally mark for the people of Granger. That's now four. Unfortunately, since he's now talking about the people of Granger and their work in India, uh, that uh, that's now a fail uh, for Jesus. Yeah, so Jesus doesn't get another point. So uh, the subject tally at this point, uh, four for the people of Granger Community Church, zero for Jesus. Okay, but although Jesus has now been mentioned three times, he each mention, though, was in passing, and it wasn't really about Jesus. Let's continue. So they are the lowest rung of the social ladder. And for generations in this village, the children have been primarily trained for one occupation— Rat catching and snake catching. Now, if you have a baby in this room, think about that being the future of your child. Well, five years ago, GCC planted a church there. And an Indian church planter moved and relocated and moved near that village. And now it's a church that has over 500 people in it. They're all brand new followers of Jesus. And, and the people of GCC keep traveling to this village. In fact, we'll have a group of 30 people there in just a few weeks again at the beginning of March. And because of the, this partnership between that new church that we planted and our church here and, and the village elders in that village, can we bring up those faces again? I want you to look at them because I have something I need to tell you. These children are going to be the first children in the history of this village who are going to attend school. In other words... For generations, it's been this downward cycle being trapped in the cycle of poverty generational poverty. But now for these children and their children and their children's children and literally the entire trajectory of this whole village transformed, lifted, elevated because of this movement. That's an inspiring thing. And all of us want to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And that's a God-given desire. 
And there's a lot of places where we can try to meet that desire. Maybe you're rooting for a certain sports team. That, that's not bad. That's a good thing. Or sometimes we feel that maybe at, at work when we're working on a massive project that has a huge payoff. And those are good things. But there's something much deeper inside of us. And the bigger thing that we all really long to be a part of is God's plan to heal this planet and to find our role in it. What? God's plan to heal the planet? Sounds like Rob has been uh, listening to Brian McLaren and the emergence. Uh-oh. And see, something we have to understand is God never designed the church to be an institution. He designed it to be a movement. God never designed the church to be an institution. He designed it to be a movement. Uh, can you give me one clear passage of Scripture that says that, Rob? I don't even know what you're talking about. Let's see what he does here. By the way, just so you know, so far, subject tally marks, four subject tally marks officially have been awarded to the people of Granger Community Church, zero to Jesus Christ, although Jesus has been mentioned three times. But he was never the subject. It was just in passing. Let's continue. That grows by what phenomenologists, these are people who study phenomenons and people movements, that grow by what they call the ripple effect. In other words, think about our own story. Ultimately, it goes back 2,000 years to the person of Jesus. Okay, hold on. Okay, mention of Jesus. But he said, mentioning our own story. So hang on. Jesus could potentially be get a subject point here. Jesus asked two people in particular, Mark and Sheila Beeson. Okay, hang on a second here. Now we got another subject on the table. The people of Granger. In this particular case, Mark and uh, Mark Beeson and his wife. Let's see. Okay, he mentioned Jesus. Now let's see who really is the subject here. Is it the people of Granger? In this particular case, Mark Beeson, or is it Jesus Christ? Are they preaching themselves, or are they preaching Christ? He, he took them basically like a stone and threw them into what was Granger, which in other words was like a gas station and a post office in 1986. And they landed here, and it started a ripple effect. And it- okay, hold on a second here. I can definitively say at this point that when it comes, even though he's mentioned Jesus, Jesus is not a subject, so Jesus is not going to get a, a tally point here. Yeah, sorry, Jesus really, he was mentioned in passing. This is really about uh, the people of Granger, in this particular case, Pastor Beeson. So we get a success point here. Yep, that's right. Now it's official. The tally now is um, the people of Granger have uh, five subject tally marks. Um, Jesus has been mentioned four times, and he has no subject tally. So that means Jesus really isn't the subject of the sermon so far, the subject of the sermon really is the people of Granger Community Church. In other words, Rob Wang, uh, Wagner is preaching themselves there, and uh, no points uh, so far. I, I doubt that uh, at the end of this uh, sermon review that Pastor Rob Wenger will have a point. Let's continue.
And it began to overlap into other people's lives. And they had a ripple effect, like Marsha with Jerry and Ange and now with their children. And the ripple effect grows and grows and grows. And it's this very organic thing, not an institutional thing, a very relational thing, not a hierarchical thing. It's a a movement, not an institution. We have a, a really nice picture of Mark and Sheila from back in the day. Can we bring that up? Isn't that awesome? Look at Mark's face. Can't you tell he's like, man, I made this leisure suit look good. <laughs> and, and those two, you know, emptied out their bank account, loaded everything up in a 1973 station wagon, and they left the comfort of, of what you could call a tenured position in an established church that was growing where it would have been very safe and comfortable. And they left that. They risked that all. And they came to a place where there was no building. I mean, there were no people. There was no sustainability. They just came because Jesus said, go, I have sent you, go. Okay, hang on a second here. Um, Jesus was again mentioned. Let's see if he can uh, actually make Jesus the subject here. Let's, let's listen. There's something I want to do new in Granger. I want the ripple effect to spill out there in a way it hasn't yet. That, that's a, an amazing thing. Now, I've got some really big news I need to share with you about Mark and Sheila, uh, but I'm not going to. Nope, hang on. That's a fail. Hang on. <laughs> Nope, this isn't about Jesus. Okay, Jesus now has been mentioned, what, five times? He's been mentioned five times, but has Jesus has yet to get a single subject tally mark. Uh, the people of Granger, they have five. The sermon clearly isn't about Jesus, although Jesus kind of keeps getting mentioned. I'm going to tell you right now. So for all you worry warts, don't worry. They're not quitting, retiring, or leaving. It has nothing to do with that. It's really good news, but I'll get to it later. But I want us to see inside of our own story how the Jesus movement has always been designed to grow. In fact, I want to invite you to look. Okay, now notice the phrasing there. Inside of our own story. Inside of our own story. Inside of our own story. Mention of Jesus. With me at the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you have your Bible, you can open up and turn right to it. If not, look inside of your program. You'll see a little white insert. We call it the Granger Notes. Got all the scriptures I'll use today. And we're going to look at the ripple effect. The church is a movement, not an institution. Again, most people, you say church, and they think institution, they think building, they think religious hierarchy, they think rules and regulations. That's not what God designed the church to be. Really, 1 Thessalonians teaches that Christianity is a movement. And... uh, We'll start with verse number six. It says this. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Underline that. If you get your Bible, underline that. For you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model. Underline that. You became a model. Hold on a second here. <clears throat> Let's, uh, what are our three rules for biblical interpretation? If you haven't listened to Fighting for the Faith before, then you don't know them. Let me share them with you. The three rules are context, context, and context. Okay, let me read this to you, starting at verse 1, chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians of God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you 
not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us of uh, became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Um, when you read it in context, this passage doesn't say anything about um, Christianity being a movement, not a institution. It just talks about the fact that they heard the gospel, received the gospel, turned from idols, rejected idols, and were, uh, now worship the one true God. They've heard the good news of Christ and him crucified for our sins. And their life is bearing fruit in keeping with that repentance, so much so that you could describe them as those who are imitators of Christ and of the of, and of the example that the apostles set. Let's continue. To all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, the Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Now, in the margin of your Bible, you can just write the word ripple effect because. Ooh. Yeah, that's a misuse of the scripture. That you No, know, the Bible doesn't teach ripple effect there. Sorry, that's a twisting of God's word. If he had any points, I would have taken them all away from him. But still, I have, I'm obligated by the rules of the uh, game show to play the, that sound anyway. By the way, uh, Granger Community Church, the people of Granger have now been mentioned five times for sure as the subject of the of the uh, sermon. Jesus has been mentioned in passing five times as well. However, none of them have actually turned out to be a true. Jesus hasn't turned out to be the subject. So Jesus has zero subject tally marks. The people of Granger have five at this point. Paul is giving us a snapshot of how the Jesus movement grows. And let me picture it for you on this whiteboard. No, he's not. He's oh, oh man. So he says, you notice that first phrase. He says, you became imitators of the Lord and of me. So Paul gives credit where credit is due. He said this whole movement thing goes back to Jesus, who is like a movie. Okay, hang on a second. Another mention of Jesus. Okay, Jesus, sixth mention of Jesus so far in this uh, sermon. Um, let's see if Jesus actually gets to be the subject. Hang on. Movement in him of himself. He shows us what it looks like to be a human being fully alive. He shows us what Jesus is just merely an example of what it means to be a human being fully alive. Jesus, the example of what it means to be a human being fully alive. Where does it teach that in the Bible? It doesn't. That's what it looks like when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Wherever Jesus was, there was this kind of explosive catalytic spark that brought out everything that God designed life to be. Where did any of the apostles teach? This is a false gospel, by the way. I have to do this. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, if you had points, I'd be taking them away for preaching a false gospel. No, Jesus is not the example of what it means to live the fully whatever life, human life. It's ridiculous. He's in God incarnate, come to earth to live a perfect life, die on the cross as our substitute, and you know to basically die for our sins. Oh, boy. And through his life and his death and his resurrection, he's swung wide the doors now to what he called the kingdom of God. It's a new way of life. The kingdom of God is a new way of life. Okay, I've got a passage of scripture I would like to read to you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Okay. Apparently, the kingdom of God is a new way of life. That doesn't make any sense. Okay. Not in light of this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, we begin. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will raise imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, O death, where is swallowed up in victory? O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If the kingdom of God is a new, quote, way of life, which, by the way, is all law, not gospel, then why would um, Paul here in 1 Corinthians 15 say that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God? That should tell you something. He doesn't understand what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God really is, in a real sense, a kingdom of the forgiveness of sins. And God's kingdom is not yet here on earth, nor can we usher it in. Because if we could usher it in, then flesh and blood could inherit it. We're dealing with a false concept of the kingdom of God here in this sermon. By the way, just want to remind you all, Jesus has now been mentioned six times. Uh, but hasn't received a single subject tally mark. Uh, people of Granger have been mentioned five times, and each time they've been mentioned, they have been the subject of the sentence. So far, this sermon is about the people of Granger. It's not about Jesus. And when he rose from the dead, a new world started in this world. And God's plan for what's called at the end of the book. If if a new world started in this world because of Jesus' death on the cross, why does Paul say that the, the imperishable cannot inherit the kingdom of God? Unbelievable. This guy's buying into emergent postmodern eschatology at this point. Look, the new heaven and the new earth, when, when, when the world is as it ought to be, that plan is unfolding now through Jesus and through his people the people who choose to follow him. And he begins to spin these people out. One of them is Paul. And Paul lands like a, a stone in a pond and there's a ripple effect. And he lands in this city called Thessalonica. That's- okay, hang on a second. Paul technically is mentioned now. So we got, we got to make sure that we get that. Hang on. 
Okay, Paul has been mentioned, so he's a he could potentially be the subject of the sermon. Let's see if we get a, t- a subject tally point for the Apostle Paul. That's why it's called First Thessalonians, his first letter to them. And there's a ripple effect through Paul's life because he says, you became imitators of Jesus and imitators of me. In other words, he told them about the life of Jesus. And they were drawn to him like it was magnetic. And they thought, if that kind of life is... Okay, hang on a second here. We got a success. Okay, Paul has successfully achieved... He has a subject tally mark here. So here's a score in the subject tally marks. The people of Granger have been mentioned. They have gotten subject ta- five subject tally points. Jesus, although he's been mentioned six times, zero tally points. Paul, one. Okay, so still the subject, the, the who is the sermon about? It's about the people of Granger. It's definitely not about Jesus. Maybe Paul, it, it'll be about Paul. I don't know. Let's continue. It's attainable. I want that life. But he didn't just tell them about Jesus. He actually embodied the way of Jesus. He said, you became imitators of Jesus and imitators of me. In other words, his life became the medium through which Jesus lived. Wow, is that bad. They saw what it was like for a normal human being to allow God to express himself through him. Yeah, where does it say that in the scriptures again? I mean, this guy is completely just winging it here. And they began to come under that ripple effect, and then it created this thing called Thessalonica Community Church. And they had a ripple effect. You know what it said next? I asked you to underline They became a model. They had a ripple effect. And then it was in Macedonia and Achaia. And then he says, literally, these churches ripple effect. Now it's going everywhere. And in fact, we're a part of the ripple effect of this. And, and it's just like the video we watched. It started with Mark and Sheila. And they came not with the building, not with the institution. Hang on, another mention of Mark and Sheila. Okay, that would technically fall into the category of the people of Granger. That is the uh, one, two, three, four, five. This is the sixth mention of the people of Granger. Let's see if that actually turns into a subject tally mark. Hang on. They just came with their very lives. They showed this community what it was like to live in the way of Jesus. And it had a ripple effect, and it became Granger Community Church. And now we are having a ripple effect. And now there's MC3, Monroe Circle Community Center. We have a- Yeah, hang on a second. Yeah, that's another point for the people of Granger. Okay, so that's uh, six subject tally marks for the people of Granger. Uh, Jesus, none. Paul, one. Even though Jesus has been mentioned, he has yet to receive a subject tally mark. Jesus has never been the subject of this sermon. This is clearly a sermon about Granger. At this point, no points for uh, for uh, Pastor Rob Wagner, which, by the way, the goal of the of the game show is to for the pastor contestant at the end of of, of the uh, review to have a point. Uh, a, a new site in Elkhart, and now it's it's going out everywhere. It's it's in India with 125,000 brand new followers of Jesus and 600 churches, and in China and Sudan and Cambodia, another 1,500 churches there. This is how it works. And what's amazing about the Jesus movement is everybody leads and everybody follows. In fact, the people at the edge of this ripple effect, they never even knew Paul personally. And and just like in this movement, there's lots of people now that maybe they're not in direct relationship with Mark and Sheila, but the ripple effect, because in the Jesus movement, everybody leads and everybody follows. And see, all of our lives have a ripple effect. And that's what Paul and Mark would say to you. They say this. Paul and Mark? He just put Mark Beeson on the same 
level as the Apostle Paul? You have got to be kidding me. This isn't about me or one great person or a super holy man. This is about everybody leading, everybody following. And right now, all of us in this room, our lives have a ripple effect. So the question is, is the... Hang on a second here. All of us in this room. That's another mention of the people of Granger. There you go. Okay, hang on. So that's uh, five, six. This is a potential seventh. Hang on kind of ripple effect that brings people into the slipstream of what God is doing in the world to bring healing and reconciliation and hope and forgiveness and grace and purpose? Or is it the ripple effect that just actually diminishes and disintegrates and harms and hurts? Because right now we are all having an impact. The question is, what is the ripple effect of our life? I want to invite you to think about that just for these next few moments. Okay, we're going to fast forward to this. This Jesus movement, it's really more than just a ripple effect. It's a lot more like a tsunami. I mean, Jesus is the proverbial stone thrown into the middle. Okay, hang on. A mention of Jesus, too. Okay, got another potential mention of Jesus. Two mentions of people. Granger, let's see. Of history, and it's not just a little ripple on the top of the water. It's it's changed everything. No doubt, the most influential, transformational person in history, and even in our small expression of it here in Michiana, it's sobering to think about. You know, if Mark and Sheila had said no, if they said, you know, we're we're just going to stay where we are because this is safe. Yeah, hang on a second here. We've successfully uh, got another. One, two subject tally marks for the people of Granger. Now, hang on. Okay, and that also means a fail for Jesus. Hang on. Okay, so Jesus has been mentioned. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm losing count here. He's been mentioned seven times, but he has yet to get a subject tally mark. People of Granger, seven times. They've been mentioned, and they have, and they've received seven subject tally marks. So Jesus hasn't, and Paul, by the way, once. Uh, So Jesus isn't the subject of this sermon. Truly, the people of Granger are. Let's continue. And comfortable, and we're still doing good work. I mean, we're growing an already established church. Do you think Jerry and Angie would still have their marriage? What do you think their kid's life would be like? I don't like to think about that. Or I think about this village. Do you think they would be breaking the cycle of generational poverty or do you think you know probably those kids would be out in a field trying to catch a rat for the next 50 years until they die is it me or does this sound like the social gospel and see the ripple effect of our lives it really matters you know we all watch it's a wonderful life around christmas time and we are all the the george bailey we're it okay another mention the people of granger they are all george bailey Okay, that's potential eight, uh, eight subject tally marks for them. Hang on. We feel like, what does my life matter? But we, but if you really removed our life from the equation, we might be like profoundly impacted by the ripple effect of our life, for good or for evil. And as you look at how this Jesus movement grows, it's interesting because those early followers of Jesus, and this is true of Mark and Sheila too. When, when Paul went to Thessalonica. He didn't have any external power 
by which to claim legitimacy and authority over the people in Thessalonica. He was in Hang on a second here. So we're, we still have the people of Granger on deck for another potential subject tally mark, but we've also got a, a mention of the Apostle Paul. Okay, so Paul could potentially get a second subject tally mark. Hang on. To nobody. I mean, he didn't come as an ambassador of Caesar representing the power of the Roman Empire, so everyone must sit and listen or he'll crack the whip. You know, he hadn't been sent by the synagogue or the temple in Jerusalem. as. A okay, that counts. Okay, so we got success. Paul, the Apostle Paul now has two subject tally marks. Uh, Granger has uh, seven with an eighth uh, in potentia here. Let's see what happens. A representative of all the religious hierarchy so that he could kind of crack the whip and everyone would have to listen. He came as like a nobody. And, and the same is true of Mark and Sheila. When they came, no one in this community knew their name. Okay, there we go. Success for the people of Granger. Okay, the people of Granger, including Mark Beeson and his wife Sheila, they now have eight subject tally marks. Clearly, this sermon at this point is all really about the people of Granger, not about Jesus Christ, although Jesus has been mentioned, I'm counting, what, five, six, seven times now? And, and the Jesus movement is actually built on this completely different type of leadership. I call it transformational leadership. Let me show you how leadership usually works. There is some kind of position of leadership. Quick question. Where in the Bible does it clearly teach this leadership? Where does the Bible clearly teach these leadership principles, or are they eisegeting? Sticking basically, basically sticking modern-day leadership concepts into the text. Now, keep in mind, my master's degree is in leadership and organizational change. I have yet to see transformational leadership in the text. I think this guy is taking a leadership concept and sticking it in there. That is accompanied by um, an, an authority or a power. For example, if you're president of the United States... This position is accompanied by what authority, by, by what power? His office, which is established by the government. If you're a, a general, you have the authority of your rank. And depending on what country you live in, it may be the power that comes out of the barrel of a gun. Then if there's a CEO... His power and authority comes from the corporation and the uh, almighty dollar. And in most settings, there's a pastor. Now, most of us think of Paul or Mark in that kind of pastoral role, but here's what usually happens. The pastor gets his power from some sort of denomination or some kind of a, uh, accrediting, some ecclesiastical sort of accreditation that says these people have our power and our authority. But notice what's in common about all of these. These are all external to the man or woman who have them. In other words, these institutions give them, you know, carrots and sticks by which they can get people to get in line and follow and obey. But there's a completely different model of leadership that's behind the Jesus movement. Why is he throwing pastors in there? I don't see anything inherent with the pastoral office, which is of it being a top-down thing, carrots and sticks. The authority that the, uh, that the pastors have is the authority to preach the word and to forgive sins, 
to announce the forgiveness of sins. I, I mean, transformational leadership, and this was innovated and pioneered by Jesus himself. He introduced a whole new way of doing leadership. Really, that's what Jesus was all about. It was pioneering an innovative new way of doing leadership. Again, I asked the question, which of the apostles in their letters outlined Jesus's transformational leadership things as Jesus being a transformational leader? And it is based off of not position or external power. It is based off something that is completely internal. It's what we call moral authority. See, in the life of Jesus, there was this integration between the message. Hang on a second here. Jesus truly has gotten mentioned here. Got to point that out. Okay, so we got a Jesus mentioned. Hang on. Let's see if this turns into a, a subject tally point for Jesus. Message in the messenger that was complete. And when people saw the power of that kind of integration, integrity inside of him, they were drawn to him like a moth to the flame. Jesus was a nobody. He was a peasant from the backwaters of the Roman Empire. Okay, here we are. We are at 19 minutes, 18 seconds in, and this is the first time where Jesus has truly been the subject of the sermon. Okay, so hang on. We've got one official subject tally point for Jesus now. Eight for the people of Granger, two for the Apostle Paul. Still, the, uh, the, at this point, the, ser the sermon is about the people of Granger. It's not really about Jesus. That being the case, though, Rob Wag uh, Wagner has five points Okay, at the moment. Now, keep in mind, if Jesus doesn't become the subject of the sermon for the balance of the sermon to where his points outstrip the people of Granger... Uh, then Rob, at the end of this uh, sermon, will lose all of his points, and he won't have a point. So we continue. He had no outside credentialing, no official titles, no armies, never wrote a book, and yet we would all probably agree, most influential transformational leader in history. Where did it come from? A moral authority that was expressed primarily through service. In other words... The night before Jesus dies, where is he? He is literally bowing at the feet of his followers, and he's washing their feet. Now, who is Jesus? He's God in the flesh. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. And where is he? He's down on his knees washing the feet of his followers. Now, where should Jesus actually be? He should be sitting on a throne with his followers at his feet, bowing before them, but that's not what's going on. Jesus says, listen, I want to show you a whole new way to lead. And listen to his words. It's in Matthew chapter 20, starting with verse 25. He says these words to his disciples. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And the high officials exercise what? Authority based on external power, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is transformational leadership. And when there... Uh, notice the gospel was present in the text that he uh, used. Um, 
and he's completely missing this, the gospel and where he's supposedly focusing in on transformational leadership. Oh, man, what a mess. There is an integration between the message and the messenger. When there's an integration between the values being espoused and the... Okay, notice how Jesus is being preached as an example that you need to follow. You need to follow his example. Jesus had a moral authority because of his character. You have to have a moral authority based on your character. You need to serve just the way Jesus served. He came to show us what it looks like to live the perfect example. This is just Jesus, the moral example in a transformational leadership kind of way. No good news here, by the way, at least not on purpose. The way of life, that becomes like a magnet and it gives someone internal authority a moral authority that comes out of the center of them. And when it's expressed through service, when the position is, I will come under you to lift and to elevate, and I am going to give my power to serve you, not to elevate myself, but to actually elevate you. People know this intuitively when someone is leading that way, and that's the kind of leader all of us want to follow. And that's who Jesus was, and that's who Paul was. And that's what sparked this kind of ripple effect because of that kind of transformational leadership. And if you want to know the power of this form of leadership, all I have to do is just give you a handful of examples. Gandhi brought the British Empire to its knees. How? Through transformational leadership. Okay, hang on a second here. So we got a mention of Gandhi. So Gandhi has a point. Um, but by the way, he gave an example, and that would be Gandhi's life. Okay, so Gandhi has a point. That was a mention as well as, an as something from his life. Let's continue. Apartheid ends in South Africa. How? Because Nelson Mandela embraced transfor transformational leadership. Okay, so we got Mel Nelson Mandela. And that's successful. So we got Mandela. Hang on a second here. He's got a, a subject tally mark. Even here in America, you go back 40 or 50 years in time, take a Gallup poll, how many of you think an African-American could be president of the United States? 40 or 50 years ago, we all know what those stats would have looked like, but it's a reality today. Why? Because of the transformational leadership of Martin Luther King. Okay, mentioned Martin Luther King. And success on that one, too. MLK, he's got a point. Okay, so subject tally marks up to this point. The people of Granger Community Church, eight, Jesus, one, the Apostle Paul, two, Gandhi, one, Mandela, one, and Martin Luther King, one. This is the social gospel, by the way. This is the Mandela, Gandhi, and MLK getting it. They're, they're perfectly following the example of Jesus. Forget the fact that Gandhi was a, a, a Hindu and he was not a Christian, right? And all three of those men, if you study their lives, they will tell you they took their leadership cues from one person. His name is Jesus. Yeah, but Gandhi denied that he was the king of kings, lord of lords, and that Jesus died on the cross for his sins, and that he was God in human flesh. So wouldn't that throw Gandhi out? And so you start implementing this style of leadership in your home, it could change everything. You start implementing... Law, law, if you start implementing this style of leadership, apparently we can we can sit down and correctly understand Jesus's leadership principles. I, I'm telling you, you don't even understand what you're talking about. You're reading something into the text.
Implementing this in the workplace, it could change everything. If you're a coach of a team, you implement this style of leadership, it could change everything. And it's really what's been at the heart of this movement called Granger Community Church for 25 years. All right, hang on. Another mention of Granger Community Church. Okay, that's the... Now, this is our ninth potential point for Granger Community Church on the subject tally mark. Let's see if we're going to continue preaching about Granger. I've been with Mark 17 years, and I've been amazed. Like, the closer I get to him, the more respect I have. Why? Because there's this moral authority. I see this integration. There's no secret life behind the curtain. It's the, this consistency between message and messenger. And over the 17... Okay, hang on. That's it. Okay, that is the ninth successful subject tally mark for the people of Granger Community Church. So Granger now is, is really running away as far as being the real subject of the sermon. Jesus has one subject tally mark, the Apostle Paul two, Gandhi one, Mandela one, Martin Luther King one. Yeah, this the sermon is all about Granger. 15 years that I've served with Mark, I keep looking and finding him at my feet, serving me. Lifting me, trying to help me. A few years back, I was in Sudan training church planters. And many of you know about Sudan. It's a swirling eddy of genocide and civil war and rape and atrocities. Okay, I got to point this out. He's talking about himself at the moment. Hang on. So that, that's another mention, the 10th mention here for Granger Community Church. Let's see if the illustration is about Granger. The church has been terribly persecuted there. Confirmed reports of pastors literally being crucified, beheaded. And I'm there training about 100 church planners. They're all young men, and they basically signed their death warrant. They're that devoted to Jesus. There's that kind of integration between the message and the messenger. They're willing to literally die, if need be, for the Jesus movement to go forward. So it was a very sober assignment, and uh, one I took very seriously. And the second day... Okay, hang on. That's success. Hold on. Okay, so five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's ten. If we're up to ten. Sorry, if I'm just it's they're running away with it. That's ten successful subject tally marks for the people of Granger Community Church. One for Jesus, two for Paul, one for Mandela, one for Gandhi, one for MLK. Let's see if he preaches more about uh, the people of Granger here. Hang on. I was actually teaching about this kind of transformational leadership because the only kind of leadership they've seen is this kind of command and control, top-down hierarchy, use all the carrots and sticks to threaten everyone and get them in line. That's been their entire environment. So I'm trying to unpack this Jesus model of leadership. In the middle of the day, we have a break, so I call home and I talk to Michelle to see how she's doing. And she's kind of weepy, and I'm like, honey, what's going on? And she says, you're not going to believe this, but Mark's been here for the last five hours, and he's mowing our lawn. I said, what? Yeah, he's been out there. He's mowing it for the second time, and he's edging, and he's weeding, and he's bagging. Now, we own this little house at the time, but we had three acres of land. So it okay, hang on. Another illustration from the life of the people at Granger. So that's that's actually the 11th point here. Hang on a second here. i got to make sure we... Uh... That's right. I mean, the, clearly this sermon is about the people of Granger. Including the pastoral staff. Okay. It would take me easy four hours to mow this lawn. I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. Mark Pastor, senior pastor, uh, one of the most influential churches in America, all right, senior pastor, and my lawn boy. 
And I was, I'm, I'm sitting here teaching about transformational leadership, and I'm just, and I, I'm, I'm living in it. And I went back and told those church planters that story, and there was two responses. First of all, he, they were like, wait a second, you Americans have a lawn that you mow that you really don't have to mow. You just mow it so it doesn't grow and your neighbors don't get mad. You Americans are crazy. And then the second thing they thought was, and your boss is mowing your lawn? It was like, ah! <laughs> fuses were blowing. And see, if you've been in this church at all, like even probably for a few months or a year or two years, I bet you could tell a story of how someone here served you in a way that made your jaw drop. Okay, mention of the people of Granger again. Hang on. And that didn't happen by accident. That's a culture that was created because of the moral authority of Mark and Sheila Beeson and 25 years committed to service. Okay, hang on. Wow. Uh, we're out of control here. 10, uh, 10 11, 12. Yeah. Run away. I mean, I don't even think there's a chance that this sermon could be about Jesus. Do you? I'm losing track here. 11, 12, 13, who knows? And there's this cycle to transformational leadership that is unfolded both in the life of Jesus and then all through the history of the church. When transformational leadership is working right, it, there's a cycle to it. It works like this. The... the the leader serves based off of their moral authority. And the knee-jerk response, like... By the way, um, all of us, since we're sinners, uh, how much moral authority do we really have? Just an interesting question. When I find out Mark is mowing my lawn, the knee-jerk response is what? To honor. It builds loyalty inside of you. It, it makes you want to get in the slipstream of their leadership. I mean, if Mark asked me to charge hell with a skirt gun, I would do it. Okay, that's another another point in the subject tally mark for uh, Granger. I think we're up to 15 at this point. I'm losing track. I mean, they, clearly this sermon is not about Jesus. Not because I'm stupid or mindless or don't have my own thoughts. And Mark is one of those leaders who doesn't put yes men and yes women around him. People who push back, who are more gifted in other areas than he is so he can get a fuller perspective. But when someone has moral authority and they begin to serve you consistently, it creates this sense inside of you where you want to honor that and give that back. And see, there's this cycle, and that's transformational leadership. And Paul, again, writes about this. Look in your Granger notes, a couple passages in particular. One from the book of Hebrews, he says this, Be responsive to your pastoral leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God. Contribute to the joy of their leadership, not its drudgery. And 1 Timothy 5.17, Give double honor to spiritual leaders who handle their duties well. This is especially true if they work hard at teaching the word. Uh, but you're not working hard at teaching the word. Sorry, that's a twist of the word. <laughs> Oh, man, the five points that Rob had for actually mentioning Jesus and making him the subject of one of his points, he's now lost. Rob now is down to zero points. Uh, the people of Granger, 15 subject tally marks for them. Jesus, one. Paul, two. Gandhi, one. Mendel and Martin Luther King, one. So Jesus comes in pretty much right next to Martin Luther King, uh, Gandhi, and uh, Mandela. Oh, man, this is terrible. 
And after 25 years of faithfulness and service and moral integrity in Mark and Sheila's life, something is going to happen. Did Mark Beeson die on the cross for your sins? You're talking about Mark Beeson's moral integrity. What about Jesus's? By the way, that counts also as another point for the people of Granger. Hold on. That's 16 subject tally marks for the folks over at Granger. This, I mean, clearly this sermon is about them. Happened this year on the honor side of equation to honor this movement called Granger Community Church, to honor Mark and Sheila, and I'm so excited to tell you about it. Many of you have heard about an organization called the Lilly Foundation. It's a nonprofit that exists to kind of accelerate and enhance local churches getting the work of Jesus done in the world. And one of the unique initiatives they have, every year they do a search for pastoral leaders who embody this transformational leadership. And who, in other words, have this moral integrity, they express it through service. God is using them to do something that's profound in terms of its size and scale. And and they're looking for transformational leaders who haven't just done it for a week or a few months, but who've been doing it literally for decades. And when they identify these kind of leaders, they offer them what they call a sabbatical assignment. Now, that may be a new phrase for some of you, a sabbatical assignment. It's not a vacation. Let me tell you what a sabbatical assignment is. It, It is a time to disengage from the normal, grueling routine of leadership and to re-engage and refocus for a short season one's energy on study, reflection, research, writing, and renewal. Now, this is a pattern that's based in the Scripture. In the creation account, God works six days, and he rests the seventh, and it's called the Sabbath. Work six, rest one. Work six, rest one. It's called the Sabbath lifestyle. And if you look at the Old Testament Scriptures, it's more than a weekly pattern. For God's people, it became an annual pattern. And, and even beyond that, there were, there were Sabbath seasons that went beyond even the annual pattern. And throughout the history of the church, it's been found beneficial that it can be of immeasurable profit that after long seasons of service, in the case of Mark and Sheila, they've been in the harness, fully engaged, straight out for 25 years at GCC, another 15 years before that. That's 40 years of transformational leadership that a short sabbatical season can infuse a life with renewed energy and clarity. Hang on a second here. More mentions of the people of Granger. So get this, out of all the thousands of senior pastors that they could have chosen, they have invited Mark and Sheila Beeson to embrace the sabbatical assignment. And here's why. I'm losing track. I I think it's 17 now. Subject marks for uh, the people of Granger. One for G. This sermon clearly is about the people of Granger. My friends, we have one of the greatest senior pastors like on the planet. And, and God is recognizing that. Do you have a great savior that you'd like to say anything about? Now, you need to know, again, Mark's not quitting. They're not retiring. They're not leaving GCC. The, the, short, the short sabbatical season is going to start this fall. So he's still going to be fully engaged uh, the, through the rest of the year up to this fall. And you need to know that Mark and Sheila needed, needed to be persuaded to do this. Uh, they didn't go out and seek this. In, in fact, there was kind of this small cohort of people that were behind it. And I want you to hear from a couple of the, the key lay leaders who helped really make this a reality. Uh, Tom Morton and Colleen Sweeney. They're going to talk a little bit about the how did this happen and why did this happen. Let's watch this together. My name's Tom Morton. 
my wife Carla and I have been uh, privileged to be a part of Granger Community Church and serving alongside Mark and Sheila Beeson for the past 25 years. Words can't express how grateful we are for their courage and their commitment uh, in starting and building this ministry from the ground up. Did uh, Mark's passion and, and commitment. Did Mark and uh, the, the Beesons die f- for our sins? Yeah, just asking, you know, I mean. Yeah, I'm going to give uh, a few more points here. We're up to 20 now for uh, the, gra- the subject marks for Granger, people of Granger, one for Jesus. Um, you have made me a better Christ follower, and our life at GCC has made a huge impact on my family. I know that that sentiment is, is uh, uh, shared by hundreds, thousands of families and individuals throughout the life of our church and our community. For the past several years, I've had the opportunity to serve on GCC's Administrative Council and presently serve as chair. I'm really excited about a great opportunity that's come before us as a church. A few years ago, we became aware of a program offered through the Lilly Foundation that awards grants to congregations for what they call uh, clergy renewal. My thoughts immediately turned to all the years of tireless dedication and sacrifice that Mark and Chile have invested in building the ministry at GCC. I've been inspired by Mark's stamina, his focus, his faithfulness, as we've experienced the joys of ministry at GCC together and uh, as well as the challenges. The responsibilities of, of spiritual leadership, of teaching, of team building, of management are great. And Mark is always on. He is carrying that load uh, faithfully and joyfully together with Sheila, uninterrupted for the past 25 years. What about Jesus and the load he carried? I mean, he, you know, all the sins of the world were laid on him on the cross. We felt great about moving forward with the application process at this point in our history because we know that Mark has put together a very strong staff, a great team of teaching pastors, an incredible group of volunteers who take ownership in this ministry. And this is what allows Mark to take an extended time off without any concern about compromise in the effectiveness or strength of our ministry. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to give love and support to Mark and Sheila and their family, and to give Mark some time away to renew his spirit, to refocus, to recalibrate, and to do the things that Mark needs to do in his own personal walk with Christ. I'm looking forward to what God has planned for Mark and Sheila and for their family, and I'm looking forward to what God has planned for our church through this process. My name is Colleen Sweeney, and I attend here at Granger Community Church. Um, I love this church, and I became aware of the grant probably um, more than a year ago. And so when I heard about the grant, I thought... By the way, this is sermon time at Granger. I thought, what a great opportunity for Mark Beeson. And I thought, what is it that you give to someone who's given so much to you and to your family? And I feel like this is a man who's been instrumental in, uh, in my eternity, the eternity of my children. And I think, did Jesus play a role in your eternity and the eternity of your children? I just, does Jesus get any credit at all? What a great gift to give him. 
And so the part that I could play would be to write uh, whatever portion I could for the grant. The thing that he recounted to me, which is the thing that I will probably remember him most for, that had the most impact on my life personally, uh, was when he holds up that fishbowl of marbles, each marble representing a year of his life. And he's... Oh, yeah, the old fishbowl illustration. That's found in uh, the Bible in... uh... Yeah, it's not found in the Bible. He's done with half his marbles. They're gone. And he has... Oh, no, he's lost his marbles. Has no idea how many marbles he has left, as do we. (laughs) That didn't sound right. (laughs) I have any idea. And uh, whatever marbles he has left, he is going to make the most of those years. And so if we could give him the rest that he needs to give it everything he has from now to the end of his marbles, uh, that's all any of us could ever ask for. The theme of the grant was what will make your heart sing. And uh, it is as much about Sheila as it is about Mark and their family, because I know that her um, sacrifice and her contribution to this church has been every bit... What about Jesus' sacrifice? You want to talk about that at all? Uh, what Mark's has been, and so it is a chance for both of them to go away uh, and be renewed together. Although you don't usually get a grant in your first year, and I had explained that um, uh, to those at the church that uh, probably we would have to apply two years in a row, but would eventually get it. It was probably six months after I finished my portion of the grant that I got a phone call from Ginny, uh, Mark's assistant, to say that... Uh, he had been uh, given the grant, he had gotten the grant, and uh, I can tell you that I was overjoyed, but not surprised, not at all surprised, um, knowing that God had his hand in it. It was really amazing. It was such a God thing. Such a God thing. All right, that's the uh, sermon. That's Rob Wagner's sermon that transformational leadership the question uh, of course the name of the game show is who is this sermon about final tally subject tally marks um you know that last little few minutes uh that put granger way over the top uh they're up to 37 now uh yeah just you know jesus uh, got one subject tally mark paul the apostle two uh gandhi one uh Mandela won and uh, Martin Luther King won. The uh, <clears throat> by the way, the goal. By the way, if uh, if uh, Rob Wagner was to win, uh, he would have had to have a point, and uh, unfortunately, he has no points, none, none whatsoever. This this sermon wasn't about Jesus; it was about the folks of Granger, which comes back to our. Um, verse uh, emailed to us earlier by uh, Tracy from Brentwood, Essex in the UK, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Um, The folks at Granger have apparently missed this passage of scripture, and they've got it backwards to where uh, at Granger, for what we preach is ourselves and not the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as a result of it, unfortunately, um, Pastor Wang- Wagner loses, and uh, he will not even get any lovely. Yeah, no, not even a lovely parting gift for Pastor Wagner. So there you have it, folks. Um, our first sermon game show. Who is this sermon about? And um, 
Our first contestant well, failed miserably. The sermon was about them, but it wasn't about Jesus. Folks, that's not a Christian sermon. And that's not what God has called his pastors to do. Paul said, I chose to know nothing among you, the Corinthian church, except for Christ and him crucified. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul tells pastors to preach the word in season and out of season. To preach the word does mean to preach Christ. Instead, we got this goofy sermon about so-called transformational leadership, and wouldn't you know it, it's Mark Beeson who is who perfectly exemplifies that because he's taken the leadership lessons of Jesus and applied them to himself, and what a great guy Mark Beeson is. That's the kind of preaching that preaches people into the lake of fire and into hell. It's the kind of preaching that exalts yourself rather than Christ. And that's really what's at the heart of this, isn't it? Seeker-driven movement's all about it's scratching itching ears and exalting yourself and your own spiritual ideas. Not about exalting Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins. Sad, sad, sad. All right, folks, we'd love to get your feedback. First, let me remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous financial contributions and gifts to us in order to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, and you'll when you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says, Join Our Crew. Click on that one. Click on that one. We are almost to our, well, we're almost to 60% of our goal of having a thousand listeners, thousand listeners, the thousand listeners join the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. It is a mere $6.95 a month. And when you join, you also get access to our Pirate Cove, which is a growing treasure trove of theological resources designed to help you go deeper in God's Word and Christ centered theology and, and doctrine and apologetics. Good stuff there, and all that for $6.95 a month. Of course, when we get to 1,000 listeners, then we will have reached our first financial goal. Goal number one, <laughs> operate in the black. Operate in the black. That's important because uh, if we are operating in the black, we are able to continue to bring this outreach to you. And, of course, if you'd like to uh, fill in the amount as far as how much you would like to uh, – uh, send our way and uh, by way of your financial gift. You can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Folks, pastors are called to proclaim Christ, not themselves. What you heard was the exact opposite of what God's Word instructs pastors to do. This is one of the reasons why the church is in the state that it's in. Is your pastor preaching you guys, yourselves, or is he preaching Christ and him crucified for your sins? If you have a pastor that's preaching yourself, or preaching themselves or whatever, that ain't what we're called to do. You need to leave that church. That's a church that will that could potentially preach you into hell. You need to attend a church and be listening to God's word and folk and, uh, and sermons that focus in on Jesus Christ as Lord and him crucified for your sins. It's what God's word calls pastors to do, and those pastors who are doing otherwise are in rebellion to what God's word teaches and expressly tells them to do. You need to know that. All right. 
If you'd like to email me, you can. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you and the grace and the mercy won by Jesus Christ in his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. That's right, you. Christ died for you. Amen. Amen.